Hello, everyone. This is Steve Smith at WCG Patient Radio. WCG is a company focused on the ethical, safe, and efficient conduct of clinical trials. We're speaking today with Dr. Michael Poku, medical doctor, who got his medical degree at Vanderbilt, did his medical residency training at Johns Hopkins Hospital, and has an MBA from the Harvard School of Business. He is with Signify Health, a company who connects with underserved minority patients in their homes to facilitate inclusion in clinical trials. Dr. Michael Poku is the Biopharma Medical Director at Signify Health, who is also a technology-enabled services firm supporting health plans, health providers, and biopharmaceutical companies in their pursuit of clinical trials. He leads the clinical design and oversight of Signify's biopharma division and is clinical faculty at Methodist Dallas Medical Center and University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center, where he cares for patients as an internist and teaches trainees and medical students. Prior to his role at Signify Health, Dr. Poku was a consultant at McKinsey and Company and also has past experiences in intellectual property management, venture capital, private equity, and healthcare operations and strategy. Hello, Dr. Poku. Hello, Steve. Thanks for having me. What are the reasons that African Americans and other underserved minorities are underserved in healthcare and in clinical trials and cannot or don't participate in clinical trials? Well, I think, Steve, it's, um, it's part of a larger issue of, you know, disparities in healthcare that cut along lines of uh, racial and ethnic, um, um, uh, racial and ethnic dimensions, as well as uh, class and, and income and things of that nature. So the inequality is due uh, to, in large measure, to long-standing um, and, and systemic uh, issues with inequality uh, cut along different lines. Um, so we know that social determinants really dictate, in large measure, one's health and, and well-being. Um, and I think in the same way that, you know, access to, to health care services um, is um, often not afforded to those um, underrepresented populations, minority populations, low-income populations. Similarly, access to, to novel trials, novel innovations um, are also um, often uh, systemically left out and these populations often excluded. So you, t- you mentioned the social determinants of health. These are sometimes, um, in fact, almost always listed by people who regularly work in clinical trials with um, these populations, and they tend to come out to be the same or very similar list all the time, which is my way of saying, I think the problems are well known. It's not a mystery. And so some of the solutions are therefore perhaps going to be easier to find. And I think you've found some of them. These social determinants of health are things like um, some of the lists I hear are childcare needs, uh, work requirements, food insecurity, transportation, pre-existing health conditions, even mistrust of doctors or the clinical trial process. Um, can you talk about some of these things? What What is exactly happening here? What is this all about? Yeah, Steve, so uh, absolutely, right? So 
I, I think a lot of the issues um, with respect to unmet social needs are known, uh, but the solutions are easier said than done, right? Um, and I think the other issue is that often uh, an unmet social need isn't operating um, and isn't identified in isolation. So it's very seldom that an individual just has a food insecurity issue and that if you connect him or her uh, to a food bank, um, that you address all the unmet social needs. So often unmet social needs go in, in pairs and in clumps to where you have somebody with a transportation issue, food insecurity issue, and a child, uh, child care issue all simultaneous. And all those things work synergistically um, to you know, prevent one from getting access to a clinical trial, getting access, ready access to his or her physicians, um, and access to, to medications in a, in a way that they can afford. So the issue is that there's a compounding effect to these things that often, you know, really work against um, one's ability to care for themselves and to access uh, sort of these novel therapeutics. Um, so, you know, that's part of the reason why uh, at Signify, one of the things that we're doing is we're working to identify all of those different opportunities, all of those different, um, you know, unmet social needs, and you really have to engage somebody on a long-term basis and in in work to address all of the identified um, unmet needs. I, I think a lot of times um, organizations, which are all doing great work, focus on one or maybe one, one to two uh, unmet social needs, and again, if you've got somebody and you've addressed that, you've definitely had progress, but you're not going to get all the way there um, if, you know, yes, I've dealt with food insecurity, yes, I've dealt with childcare, um, but Mrs. Jones doesn't have ready transportation in order to make it to her appointment. Yes, and then, uh, and, and you talked about the synergistic and compounding of these issues. We, we have a, a blog of, and uh, testimony from one of our um, community activists who's a cancer survivor in Chicago in the inner city. And she says, you know, I have to pick up my daughter who is an essential worker at a grocery store and I happen to have a car so I could go get her because it's not safe to um, take a bus and walk our streets. So the issue of walkable streets is often cited as an issue. Um, being a worker who can't take time off and stay away from uh, one's job because the person is an essential worker. And then the mother yeah. says, but I'm a cancer survivor with a compromised immune system. So here comes my daughter from the grocery store where they weren't getting PPEs early in the COVID time and getting in the car with me. So it's uh, this compounding of issues is like, got this family trapped. How does this cancer survivor avoid the compromise, uh, the exposure with a compromised immune system? while her daughter goes to work and stays off the unwalkable street. So you and your organization go into patients' homes to meet them as families and provide medical care and even clinical trial assistance so they can avoid having to go into medical centers. And this sounds not only convenient for patients, it is something almost all patients would like is not to have to go to the hospital as often, stay out of sure. those waiting rooms but it's more necessary to get participation for people who find it hard to get to a medical center for trial visits on a regular basis. And home-based care, of course, now is much more critical for everybody in the time of COVID. Tell us about those services and the particular obstacles to clinical trial participation you're finding when you go into these patients' homes. Yeah, so, so happy to. So, I mean, I think you've hit it in, in, in COVID, 
um, unfortunately has augmented uh, a lot of the disparities um, that have existed in, in the United States for some time, right? And I think those of uh, uh, those of low income are much less likely to to be able to sort of shelter in place. Um, those of low income and minority populations are, are much more likely to be in roles where they are essential workers. Um, it, it must go out with PPE or, or without PPE. Um, in order to secure the income that they have. So what we do at Signify, right, is we are able to, to go into homes uh, with PPE. We're able to engage um, uh, various populations um, on that mode and or telephonically and virtually. And we do a broad biopsychosocial assessment um, to where we are really getting very personal with very trained staff a highly trained staff that know motivational interviewing, and we're getting a broad-based sense of that individual and, and his or her needs when it comes to clinical needs, when it comes to you know social needs, and when it comes to mental health. We take that very comprehensive picture, and particularly since uh, you know we're, we're talking about unmet social needs and social determinants, we find and identify uh, unmet social needs of that particular individual. And then we help on the back end to connect that individual with um, available community-based resources. Um, so we serve as that conduit to do the identification via our assessment. Um, and then in our tech-enabled platform, we're able to make sure that that individual gets connected with the appropriate resources um, in, in organizations that can help address those needs on a durable and sustainable manner. Uh, and with yeah. that, right, with that, with that, we sort of help individuals to uh, be able to um, access clinical trials, be able to, hey, you know, we can identify trials that have a decentralized component. So, yes, you've got transportation issues. Let us sort of help you figure out which trials have minimal transportation needs, which we can figure out. And then, hey, maybe there's an in-home component. Maybe there's a virtualized component, et cetera. And, and then with this um, motivation, these motivational interviews you do, the, uh, did I, am I saying it right? The biopsychosocial assessment? Yep. Those are, those then inform um, the sponsor or the site, the hospital, I would guess, tell me if I'm right, on what, what they need to set up so that these patients you're talking to will be successful in the clinical trial. Is that right? Correct, right? So sponsors these days, I think thankfully, right, they recognize their role in promoting trials that are representative of our, you know, growing diverse uh, population. Um, so they're increasingly interested in making sure that their trials represent the U.S. population. And part of that is being able to bring folks into the trials that, you know, are of a representative cross-section. Um, and that means necessarily addressing those social determinants. So we're able to work with sponsors to say, like, hey, absolutely, you could get a more representative trial, but here's sort of what we're seeing. We're seeing gaps in child care. We're seeing gaps in food, uh, with respect to food insecurity and some of these things. We want to help you address those gaps so that you don't have a monolithic trial population. So do you have um, you have something set up to help when you discover somebody with food insecurity that if you plug that gap, 
took care of that need, they'd be more likely to participate in the trial? Correct. Yep. That's, that's the idea, right? So the idea is uh, we're able to demonstrate that, hey, it's the reason why your trials aren't looking representative is because you have these several needs that are not being addressed. And then if you're telling a, a subset of the population, they've got to travel two hours for a couple of uh, visits, that can be very cost prohibitive. Um, and if you don't work to address that, you're going to systematically exclude, effectively exclude that subset of the population. So the way to address that is you, you know, you lower uh, the cost from that participant's perspective um, and you decrease the barrier so that you can help them overcome that. Um, so you can bring, you can increase the funnel and bring more people under the tent um, and promote more, uh, more participants um, into the trial. And the people who go in from your staff, um, I can guess, but tell me if I'm right, they have experience um, in these minority communities. They may or may not be members of these communities, but they're sensitive to the um, culturally appropriate ways to um, speak with them. Yeah, correct. So, right. So with the staff, it's, it's, it's not only about motivational interviewing, which is, I think is a key technique, um, but it's also about having uh, a socially and culturally uh, appropriate staff that's attuned to that particular population and to, to if it's on a regional basis, if it's uh, more on a broad-based basis. So the training that we do is pretty comprehensive to make sure that we are, um, you know, striving to be culturally appropriate, socially appropriate. Um, obviously, if we're asking these deep, deep questions around unmet social needs, behavioral health, things of that nature, things can get fairly sensitive. So you've got to have the right trained staff that's highly skilled to be able to ask these questions, get these responses, develop a often a longitudinal relationship with these folks, um, because it really is about, you know, establishing trust. Yeah, so there is an, I, I think that there's an upsurge in interest from pharmaceutical companies and uh, clinical trial sites to reach out to these communities and include them more in their clinical trials. And I think there's um, appropriate new um, guidance, perhaps pressure uh, from the FDA and the NIH to do so, um, sure. which is very appropriate given a, a better recognition now and attention on the public health crisis we have of these underserved minorities having health disparities. And a lot of experts who are have been doing this kind of recruiting of low-income minorities talk about what you just said, and that's establishing trust to gain the participation in the trial or to gain engagement in health care at all. How do you establish trust on a community basis and on a per patient basis? And I ask that because I think a lot of um, people running trials would like to suddenly recruit minority patients, but I think sure. there's a longer term buildup of the trust, the trust bearers, and knowing how and having the capacity to go into people's homes. Can you talk about that? And establishing trust, one of the big things that we see in there is, you know, once you do um, establish that initial connection, um, explain to that particular contact, as we call it, that, that, that patient, what you're there for and the fact that you're, 
you know, really there to, to do an assessment and to address the problems uh, or, or address any unmet needs, um, it becomes, the, the trust sort of goes in and of itself, right? Because if you've got uh, a, a young mother, single mother, um, who is having childcare issues, having transportation issues, and you work to address that issue uh, in a sustainable way that doesn't add more burden, um, that's going to build some, some real trust. And I think a, a lot of times, unfortunately, um, we, we don't always address the problems that, that, that patients care about first and foremost, right? Absolutely, as a physician, I, I might see somebody with diabetes, and I see the diabetes is out of control, and that's the, the biggest clinical issue that I've identified, right? Because that diabetes can lead to lots of down um, Lots of downstream sequela, uh, including the possibility of death, limb amputation, and a whole host of things. But it may be that that particular patient cares about something altogether different um, that's related to the diabetes, but clinically, a lot of clinicians aren't trained to see that. So that patient may care first and foremost as like, hey, I, I, I have to choose between my life bill and my medications uh, each month because I'm on a fixed income. Um, so when you really sit with somebody and you get to get that sense and you say, oh, absolutely, I'm meeting you where you are, I'm hearing your issues, and I'm working with you to address the issues as you see them and as you prioritize them, that is a really, unfortunately, somewhat unique thing in terms of how we've thought about uh, the system of healthcare services in the United States for a long time. And so does this work when those considerations are made and those accommodations are made? Uh, it does. So the, the, the nice thing is with our, um, uh, with our social determinative health platform, one of the big differentiators in our platform versus others is that we really strive to make sure that we're not only quantifying outcomes in terms of, you know, uh, what's our, you know, operational metrics as far as, how quickly are we connecting a particular contact with a community-based organization? Did that community-based organization resolve the need? Was that need resolved on a more sustainable basis? But we're also connecting it with downstream outcomes um, in terms of, you know, hey, was that person able to get into the trial? Was that person able to stay into the trial? Uh, was that person able to uh, establish care with a primary care provider? And see her on a regular basis. So we've been, you know, done Yogan's work connecting uh, what we do at that point of care to address those, the, to address those unmet social needs to downstream outcomes that patients care about, that sponsors care about, uh, and that healthcare uh, clinicians care about. And you're able to show then the next sponsors or sites you talk to. Hey, these things have been working. Look at these numbers. If you do this you're going to have this kind of success. Is that right? Correct. So, so then it's all, it all builds on itself, right? Because to your point, the sponsors are in, incredibly uh, excited about opportunities to, to, to make their trials more representative and to um, have underrepresented minorities participate. So our ability to sh sort of show them uh, the blueprint uh, of others and what others have done and what we've done with them uh, is, is pretty compelling from a sponsor's perspective because uh, a, a lot of sponsors, to your point, do want to help be part of the solution. 
um, but many of them just don't know where to start. Um, so we sort of help them with that starter deck. And then obviously, depending on, uh, on the trial and depending on what's being looked at, there's some idiosyncrasies and that we've got to um, think smartly about those. Well, this is um, very um, uh, useful and um, really um, moving forward type of information that can change a major <clears throat> public health crisis if only more would do it. That you've, you've talked about, like the other experts do, the, the reasons for the health disparities and low participation, but the fact that there are actual solutions and that they actually work when they're implemented and you, you do it, it works, and you measure it. Thank you for sharing that information with us today, um, Dr. Michael um, Poku. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me. We've been speaking today with Michael Poku, MD, who is the Biopharma Medical Director at Signify Health. This is Steve Smith from WCG Patient Radio. Special thanks to our executive producer, Lauren Osmore, and production staff, Isabel Andresen, Roxana Guilford-Blake, Technical Director David Fogel and Head of Studio Amy Hutnick. Goodbye, everybody.